You're listening to an episode of Understanding Cancer, a podcast from Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. Today's topic, nutrition labels, and how you can use this information to make informed, healthy decisions. When you grab an item of packaged food, the first thing you probably notice is the brand name, or maybe a list of benefits it allegedly offers. But the most important information isn't on the front. What you should be paying attention to is the U.S. Food and Drug Administration required nutrition label, designed to show you what's inside the container and the role it should play in your daily diet. Unfortunately, they can be confusing and frankly, overwhelming. To help us decode this information, we're joined by senior Dana-Farber nutritionist Stacy Kennedy. She's here to explain how to properly read a nutrition label and what cancer patients, caregivers, and survivors should pay attention to. Stacy, thanks for joining me. Great, great to be here. Thanks for having me. All right, Stacy. Why is it important to read the nutritional facts label on a package? The nutritional facts panel, and importantly, the ingredient list that are required parts of a packaged food can be really informative, but as you mentioned, can be really overwhelming too. So it's great to kind of talk through what are the points to pay attention to, how do you know what's relevant, but you wanna know what you're eating. When you're cooking from scratch, you're shopping for ingredients, you're putting them together, you know exactly what's in there. When you're buying something that's in a package at the store or even ordering from a restaurant um, that provides the nutrition information, you're not really sure what's in there. And so this is your way of kind of taking a lens to know what's inside of that food that I'm about to be eating. And when someone picks up a, a container, what's the first line maybe that their eyes should go to? Turn it over and go first to the ingredient list, honestly, so you can have a good sense of what are the actual foods inside my food and how much not food or things that are hard to pronounce are in my food too. So I can just think about that. And there's also allergen statements. So if you're dealing with a food sensitivity or you're dealing with an allergy, that's an important part too. And then look at the facts panel and think about what it is that your goals are. So for example, for a patient going through treatment, getting enough protein might be your goal. So if that's your goal, then I would recommend after you do a quick read of the ingredients and get a sense of, you know, do I need a chemistry degree to read this or not, then you might go straight to the protein grams because that's really your focus right now. In terms of that ingredient list, why are they in the order that they're in? So another requirement on labels is that the ingredients start with the most prevalent item in that food. So the thing that's listed first is in the greatest quantity within the package. The thing listed last would be in the least. Okay. And to kind of go off of that, are there any giveaways, though, that what you just picked up is, is good for you or bad for you just by kind of quickly looking at that label? It's really relative. That's another one of those kind of internet things that can be really confusing for people is that foods are often pitched as being absolutes. This is a good food. This is a bad food. And it's all relative to you and your personal situation. There certainly are healthier choices than others, but it is context and frequency above all else, really. 
Now, when you, you look at the back, you'll see things, you know, like sodium, cholesterol, maybe fat. This might kind of scare you if you're reading it and see what the numbers are, but are there guidelines you should be following for some of these major categories? Yeah, I mean, there are absolutely general healthy guidelines. For cancer patients going through treatment, you might have specialized needs. And this is actually something that comes up quite a bit. So while eating a lower sodium diet is an important public health recommendation for heart disease and high blood pressure. For patients in treatment, certain treatments might actually cause your body to be low in sodium, which can have difficulty with your energy level, blood pressure. If it's low enough, it can be really serious and concerning. So during treatment, we actually have to help patients overcome the good learning they did for their general low sodium diet and recommend that they purposefully include foods with some sodium if, for example, their blood sodium level is low. So yes, in general, we should be limiting things like cholesterol, um, excess amounts of saturated fat and sodium, but don't be surprised during treatment if you get a more personalized recommendation. Trans fats are artificial fats that are now mandated to be out of foods. So thankfully, this conversation is quickly going away, but that's certainly something that has no health value and can really detract from an overall healthy diet. Switching gears, in 2016, the FDA approved a series of changes to the nutrition label. Are there any notable updates people should be aware of? There are a couple of really great things about this new food label. One is the inclusion of added sugar. So this is a big question that comes up, especially when you start reading online about sugar and cancer, and people have a lot of questions about this. When you look at food right now, the sugar includes natural sugar, like from fruit, as well as table sugar that's added to a product. So the consumer really can't distinguish between these things. So a good example that we use all the time is with yogurt. So you might see a plain yogurt has zero added sugar and it has, you know, maybe 12 or 14 grams of sugar. Some of that sugar is the naturally occurring sugar that's found in dairy, like lactose. Without knowing that there's no added sugar, you have no way of knowing what's the natural and what's the added. If you look at a flavored yogurt, even if it's like vanilla, you might see instead of 12 grams of sugar, there's like 24 grams of sugar. So right now in your head, if you're someone with a nutrition degree, you would be standing there in the grocery store doing some math and saying, oh, well, that means this flavored one has added sugar, right? Because I'm comparing it against the plain. All of that's going to get much easier because on the label, the companies will have to list the amount of added sugar. And so that's something that you do want to try to limit the amount of added sugar. What are the most common questions you get about sugar and added sugar? Again, like we talked about, like the good and bad, evil food kind of thing. Sugar sort of gets lumped in that category too, where there is some research showing that excessive intake of added sugar, sugar-sweetened beverages, um, kind of a higher quote, you know, processed sugar type of a diet may contribute to risk of development of cancer, but it's not directly like a causal effect of the sugar itself. It's often because um, people who tend to follow those types of diets tend to be overweight or obese, and there are links between obesity and cancer risk. Patients will often feel like, you know, for every cookie they eat, a certain number of cancer cells might grow, and there isn't a direct effect like that 
Overall, we want to keep our sugar intake to be more natural. So from fruit, we don't want to see people eliminating fruit in an effort to cut down on sugar to help reduce the risk of cancer or reduce the risk of recurrence because there isn't the evidence to support that at all. In fact, only one out of every 10 Americans is getting the recommended amount of fruits and vegetables in their diet. So if 90% of people aren't eating enough fruit in the first place, it's unlikely to be contributing um, to any of the, the concerns that we have. So when it comes to that kind of a topic, we want to just get back to trying to streamline, get rid of those excess added sugars, but understand that you know really keeping things in moderation can be fine. On that note, I know on the back there's the percentage daily value. What does that mean? Where did that number come from? How do you kind of work that into your, your daily routine? Right. So that's a really great question because everybody as an individual is going to have an, an individual nutrition need. So depending on your age, depending on your weight, your activity level, medications, all those kind of things. So you know, when we see percentages, it can feel like it applies to each of us, but it doesn't necessarily the way those numbers come about is more from a public health perspective. So essentially, what's the minimum amount of nutrition that somebody needs to prevent developing a deficiency or you know, a clinical concern or an illness? It doesn't mean that that is the optimal level. So the daily value for protein is 50 grams a day. So the percent daily value, if you see it on the label, is benchmarked off of that. That doesn't mean that every single person has 50 grams of protein as their goal. Many people need more than that. For some people, that might be the right amount. So those percentages are kind of a ballpark general guidance. They're not really specific for each each person, but it can be helpful. So you know, when you see something like sodium, if you are trying to kind of keep your sodium intake lower, under 5% of the daily value is the technical definition for low sodium. So let's say you're not a patient now, but you're a caregiver who's perhaps buying food on a patient's behalf. Is there something as a caregiver you should be more aware of or you should kind of look closely for as you make these purchases? It depends, on again, on the goal. So a lot of caregivers, when they're shopping for patients, might have the mindset of, you know, my loved one doesn't have an appetite. And so we want to make every bite count. So looking for what we call nutrient-dense foods. So the calories might feel kind of high, but if you see healthy fats, so not the saturated fat, but the kind of healthy fats like from avocado or nuts or seeds, that might be higher. Protein might be higher. Fiber is something that's really important too. So if you kind of look for some of those key nutrients and comparatively look for them to be greater than maybe other products they're next to, that might be helpful because then the patient can have a very small amount and get a lot of nutrition in. In terms of fats, and you just kind of mentioned that, it seems that has its own subcategory. What is the difference between all the the kind of ones I'm reading on the back. Right. So we kind of, we do sort of lump them in. We don't like the terms good and bad. And then, of course, we lump them into this category, you know, because it's easy to understand. You know, so the quote unquote good fats are essentially heart healthy fats, fats that are more what you would call like anti-inflammatory. Kind of your plant-based fats tend to be healthier overall. So things like nuts and seeds, nut butters like peanut butter or almond butter, avocados, omega-3 fats that come from fish 
fish like salmon or sardines, also come from uh, plant-based foods like walnuts or chia seeds. Omega-3 are important fats that our body needs that we can't make on our own. We literally have to eat it in order to have those foundational building blocks. Those are the kinds of fats we tend to call healthier fats that should make up more of that part of your diet. And just quickly then, what are some of the fats if you see on the back you should probably avoid? Right. So it's it's more of those, you know, kind of common sense, you know, the the like saturated fat. You know, having some butter on your toast can certainly be fine. Things like lard or there are other kinds of even plant-based fats that tend to be more promoting of inflammation and excess amounts. So excessive amounts of like soybean oil and corn oil and some of those highly processed ingredients are not going to be quite as healthy as, as some of the monounsaturated fats like we mentioned before. And just to confirm here, you mentioned the percent daily value usually changes per person. Is that the same thing with the serving sizes? Okay, so the other really great parts about this new food label, one is around serving size and the other is around knowing how many calories. Those are very connected. So for example, if you go to buy a bottled smoothie or juice or a drink, Right now, the requirement on the food labels is on the recommended amount. So basically, it's based off like a standard serving size. So for a beverage, that's eight ounces. But let's say the bottle you're buying is 16 ounces. So right now, the food label might say 80 calories. And in really small letters, you see there are two servings. So what is the likelihood that you're going to drink half and save the other half for later? You might, right? But most people are going to finish the whole container. It looks like it's for a single serving. So the new food labels require companies to label foods intended for a single serving to be labeled as such. So now the calories will say in bigger letters where it's easier to see, 160. Because you can manipulate a lot right now. And just to finish up here then, Stacey, is there anything else that maybe we haven't covered today that people, especially cancer patients, should keep in mind when looking at these food labels? You know, we're talking about how to kind of pick it apart and scour it for ingredients you you may not want to include in your diet. I think the flip side of that is being you know, overly concerned and stressed about every little thing on the label that may not make sense. So it is, again, kind of important to look at it as a whole. You can have a quote-unquote clean label that is a bit manipulated or that it becomes stressful. If all of a sudden eating is like a really stressful experience, stress is not good for our immune system either. So we want to kind of take things with a grain of salt, no pun intended, when we're looking at food labels and, and really knowing the big picture. And again, the benefit of eating a minimally processed plant-based diet is that that apple doesn't have or have required or need a food label. You know that it's healthy. A banana doesn't need a food label. A carrot doesn't need a food label. So make sure that you're including some of these foods that don't have food labels too. All right, Stacey, well, thank you so much for joining us. I think this was very informative for everybody listening. Great, thanks. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out more of our content by searching for Understanding Cancer on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review as this helps others to find the podcast. To learn more about us, visit DanaFarber.org.